Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, I'm Paulo Ferreira, and you are listening to the London is Blue. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to the London is Blue podcast, a podcast made for the fans, by the fans, celebrating the only team that matters. Come on, you blues. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast presented by World Soccer Shop. Head on over to worldsoccershop.com for the best Chelsea gear round approved by us. All right, the gang is back at it with another Sunny Sunday podcast here in the U.S. Nick, we got to sleep in a little bit this weekend. How enjoyable was that? It was fantastic. You know, the the, the 6.30 a.m. match, although necessary at times, uh, isn't always the most delightful way to kick off your, your Saturday. So the fact that we got to sleep in just a little bit and then got to take a little more time this morning was uh, was a delight. Well, those those brunch kickoff times are so much nicer than those uh, breakfast or coffee kickoff times. Mainly coffee, yeah. Exactly. I was fortunate enough to head back to Brits. You could almost call that the home of the podcast, actually, uh, and hung out with the uh, the Twin Cities Blues. So it was good to see you if you were there. Shout outs to you all. Uh, it had been far too long, but I tell you what. Uh, just getting together with a bunch of other Chelsea fans and watching the game is so much better. So listeners, if you haven't found a local chapter, go on Twitter, find it, or start your own. 
because it's chelseaandamerica.com have to plug that really quick because they have all the pubs on there absolutely that was where i was going with it but thank you thank you nick so joining us on this sunny episode of the london is blue is tweeds joe tweeds is back um I think this is official. You've now broken Dan Levine's uh, guest appearance record. Excellent. Yeah. Top scorer as well, hopefully at some point. Yeah. You know, we're going to have to uh, run the stats on that and uh, put it on the website. But for now, uh, we'll just give you most capped guest. Dan, it is your turn to give a shout out to the people who wanted to have their names read out on our podcast. So, uh, we got some love from the U.S. and the U.K. iTunes store this week, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Uh, some great five-star reviews on iTunes uh, from our friend uh, Steve B. 87 in the U.K. store. Uh, very nice to see that he uh, appreciated that uh, you know, U.S. fans can have a, a good opinion every once in a while. And then uh, <laughs> uh, from the U.S. store, my CFC carpool bros, uh, Dr. B-Rad, which I enjoyed the fact that he also lives in Florida. So a little shout out there. Uh, but apparently, as a professor, a professor who roots for Arsenal, which may you know may cause an issue at some point, just don't let him know. You know when he's grading your exam after the fact. Good time. And then uh, at Mile High underscore Hokey, and then DJK underscore II. Thank you guys for the uh, the wonderful five star reviews. And you know you can do it right now while you're listening. Just hop into iTunes, leave a five star review, and get a shout out next week from Brandon. Absolutely. And as always, before we get into the meat of this podcast, we have an awesome deal from World Soccer Shop. Again, this wasn't even clickbait. This is the real deal. So, Nick, what is going on? Yeah, they've extended their uh, – so they did like a flash sale on on Wednesday of last week, uh, which obviously means nothing to you if you're listening to this podcast on on Monday of the following week. But they've extended their uh, their sale on Chelsea Third Kits uh, 39 bucks for a kit right now. It's about as low as you're going to find it. So I would encourage you to head on over to worldsoccershop.com, click on the Chelsea section via our, uh, our podcast referral link to support the show and, uh, and to pick yourself up one of those, maybe even customize it. You could put, uh, you know, I love Nick on the back, for example, that could be a, a kit option, Dan, that you would, you would choose. Is that is that a player that Joe's going to tell us about from like a Serbian <laughs> league that, uh, that exists? <laughs> probably i mean joe scouted all of them but uh, i would hope that would be me actually that's where i was going with that dan okay well hey head over to oldsoccershop.com get yourself a sweet kit 39 dollars uh and and i think we should uh, we should talk about the match now all right well i'll bring it back to us guys uh you know it's a good red white and blue kit it's very very london is blue appropriate for for the fans in america all right, match review time. Swansea City in the Premier League. Back to Stamford Bridge this past Saturday. In case you missed it, Blues 3, Swans 1. But if you're on Twitter, you might have thought we actually lost. <laughs> Going into this match, Paul Clement obviously recently appointed as uh, Swansea's new caretaker after the gone-but-not-forgotten American Bob Bradley. R.I.P. Um, you know, it, it it was hard for us over here in the U.S., but Paul he's Clement... Not, he's not really dead, by the way. I just had to say that. True. I, yes. 
very important that we that we clarify that. Um, so, anyways, Clement was the assistant manager to Carlo Ancelotti at Chelsea between 2009 and 11. Uh, while he was there, Chelsea won 48 of their 76 Premier League matches. I just, you know, there is a connection between Clement and Chelsea. And we just want to make sure, in case you know you're newer to Chelsea or missed that uh, during the Carlo reign. Uh, you know, definitely some some very good memories around that time, Joe. I mean, uh, he the guy's been with Carlo for a long time. You know, he's got to be learning a lot because he's been in England, uh, France, and now Germany as well. Yeah, I mean, if you think you look at the caliber of players he's actually worked with, I think he was was he with Ancelotti when he was at Real Madrid as well. So I mean, he's That's worked. That's true. At- you know, three, four. I mean, you know, you're looking at some of the biggest clubs in world football with some of the best players. Um, my general understanding of, about Clement is that he's an incredibly well-respected coach. Um, we're talking about players here, you know, of, of Cristiano Ronaldo's stature and people who play for Bayern and, and some of PSG's players. But really, really respecting him and really rating him as a coach. So, you know, I think he got a bit of a raw deal when he was at Derby. Um, quite possibly that they didn't really sort of understand just the level of, of, of coach that they had. But, I am, I'm very happy that he has been doing well at, at Swansea. Um, obviously, just not wishing him too well when it comes to the uh, the Chelsea fixtures. But yeah, I mean, a person with a, a lot of Chelsea heritage, a lot of Chelsea sort of you know blood in terms of pre, probably I think probably pre-Roman potentially as well. So you know, someone who's been around the club for a long time. Um, yeah, and, and now who, who seemingly is finally getting some of his some of his uh, you know talents recognised at Swansea. And I hope I hope that they continue to continue to to do well under him in the future. Well, that's really you know, cool to also see uh, Makalele uh, next to him yes. as well and the assistance level too. Absolutely. The Chelsea link over there at Swansea right now is strong and we'll get into kind of Clement's record and everything in a little bit. But Dan, as always, we like to kick this off the lineup because it's, it is very important to how the match goes. And as you guys hear the lineup, just keep in mind, Swansea came out in a 4-3-3, which I thought was a little bit interesting. Uh, but hey, we're back to the copy and paste lineups, right, Dan? It's the Premier League. Uh, not not entirely this week. Uh, you know, uh, there was some Sesky time. Um, <laughs> you know, you had a little Tibor Courtois, Aspilqueta, Luis Cahill. Uh, so it was going fine. Then you saw the Moses, Conte, Fabregas, Alonso, and then PhD up the top with uh, Pedro Costa and you know, Hazard getting their their minutes in there. And we saw a little bit of a. Uh, Late substitution Azuma in, a little bit of a late substitution William, a little double sub in at the end. And uh, Manage came in also to help uh, lock down after we had scored our second goal. You know, Nick, as we look at this and coming off last week's cup match, everyone, you know, the, the, the Fabregas army was out and it was strong this past week. Everyone wanted to know if he could cut it. You know, we will get into that as we go. But, I mean, as far as it sounds, like how surprised, I guess, were you to see Sesk actually in the lineup? Not necessarily how he played, but just that that was the decision made. Um, So I wouldn't be surprised because I think I predicted it on the show a couple weeks back um, that this could be an opportunity for him to play against a team at home that, you know, is not as strong defensively, you know, as, as like a United or you know, someone like that. So I think, you know, we, we, we do this every week and it's almost to the point of boredom because Antonio Conte is going to pick the, the best 11 he thinks uh, are going to win the game. But I would say in the last three or four weeks, I think Sesk has 
asserted himself, whereas Nemanja Matic has, has largely just stayed static in his positioning. And, and you start to see that maybe all that hard work starting to pay off because I think defensively, Cesc had a decent game. I mean, he's never going to be Matic, but I think uh, he had a decent game and I think, you know, obviously brought a lot to the attack. So um, not not super surprised. Uh, glad that we got to see him in a Premier League game. I think that was only his sixth start of the year in the Premier League. So minutes have been tough to come by. But uh, but yeah, he, he played well, and I think you know it's it's a key catalyst why we won this game. Yeah, we'll continue to break it down, like I said. But you know, just at a glance, Chelsea was sixty five percent possession, sixteen shots, uh, definitely front loaded. Uh, Tweeds, we had three goals to choose from: Fabregas in the nineteenth minute, Pedro seventy second, Costa in the eighty fourth. Which one was your favorite? I quite like the first and the third. Um... I'll probably go with, with the fair because I, I liked Hazard skinning Norton. I think it was actually a pretty good finish from Costa as well. But I think the, the first, again, really interesting to see some of that link play. Costa obviously doing pretty well to draw both centre-backs out, win the ball, and then kind of the, the feed-through um, in terms of the play. And then I think, again, Fabregas's finish, I felt he, he actually messed it up with the touch. Like it, it was almost like he overran it. And then he somehow managed to sort of dig it out of his foot and kind of stab it into the corner. So, yeah, one or three for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't lean uh, either way on those. Sesk's touch on the first one was uh, really, really impressive, I thought. Uh, Dan, what about you, though? I know, um, you know, you, you're one of those guys who likes to see goalkeepers trip up and fail. <laughs> uh, only, only if I don't know them the way that I know you, Brandon. And, uh <laughs> Was nice to see uh so see some flappy hands from Fabianski uh, give Pedro, uh, but credit to Pedro for actually taking the shot from that type of distance too, because you know, he he worked himself into a good position for it and uh, you know kind of went through a few defenders and then ultimately made it in a, in, into the well, bottom left hand corner, which uh, I, I like. I think it's a good uh, it's a good goal, and Pedro continues to contribute at an extremely high level. I completely agree with Dan here. I think my favorite goal is the second goal because at that point, Swansea had kind of come back into the game a little bit. And it was, I think we're going to look back at this goal should Chelsea win the title and think, you know, in, in a time where, you know, there might have been a little bit of a dip in form in the Premier League, that that goal was kind of crucial to to spark the team on uh, going forward. So I, I credit Pedro for shooting, you know, even though he, he was kind of off on a couple. Uh, you know, just to shoot and put a goalkeeper in a position to have to make a save. Our, our team doesn't do that nearly enough, and I, I credit him for that, even though it wasn't the prettiest shot. I understand uh, all of that. Uh, personally, I like the third one because of, as Joe mentioned, Hazard just destroying Naughton. Uh Diego had a very instinctive finish, just a one-time put my foot on it and put it through it, uh, but also because it shows that Chelsea don't, take their foot off the gas. We pressed Swansea for 90 minutes plus stoppage. And I was really happy to see that even in our 14, 15 winning season, we felt like Chelsea didn't kill teams off. They could have easily rode out two one to the end, uh, but that was not the case this season. And I think that's a, a trait that the team has gotten from Antonio Conte specifically. Now, speaking of milestones in this match, uh, it was Fabregas's 300th Premier League appearance. And he has now become the first Spanish player to reach this milestone. Obviously, very cool for him. Something that he'll be able to, you know, 
put on a, you know, hang the jersey up on the wall and mark it as the 300th appearance. Um, also, Diego Costa has now scored seven goals in four Premier League games against the Swans. Dan, you actually tweeted out something along the lines of Costa going duck hunting yet again. Yeah, yeah, he, he does like to uh, to take care of the swans and uh, uh, foul uh, creatures. Um, but you know, I, I actually enjoyed Joe kind of uh, basically telling people to come at him uh, after the <laughs> Opta Joe uh, tweet about how yeah, Costa scored in fifty four percent of his Premier League appearances, and uh, that that is a. Uh, you know, I, I mean, Joe, I, I can't understand why people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't want Diego Costa to stay and, you know, would be happy taking a buyout from China. Like, that, that doesn't make sense to me. So, I mean, p- part of it for me is, is tongue-in-cheek, but there seems to be this kind of weird side of, of sort of Chelsea Twitter where you kind of get these sort of pseudo-intellectual analysts who, who kind of sort of treat the game like it's a computer game and they seem more obsessed with sort of pretty build-up play than actually scoring goals and, and other things. I mean, again, if you actually look at Costa, if Costa isn't having a good game, Costa still occupies an entire back four by himself. He still drags players out of positions. He still makes runs that create space for other players. When people start analysing, oh, Costa's, you know, he's not having a good game, he's not linking up play, this, that, the other, they completely neglect to analyse the entire picture. And probably, you know, again, sort of after this weekend at the test, you know, being able to see football potentially as a, bit more of a, a bigger picture than in isolation. You know, seeing some of the stuff that Costa actually does during games enables the entire team to, to work properly. And, you know, people talk about him, he's he not being able to dribble, he can't control the ball, he can't pass, he can't this, out the other. Costa pretty much effectively set up the first goal. He he, he, he comes deep, he drags two centre-backs out of position, lays the ball off perfectly. You know, f- five seconds later, Fabregas is, is scoring a goal. He then scores the third goal. And, and yet people are, are berating that he's, he doesn't have the ball control of Leo Messi or, you know, he's not this sort of superstar, you know, um, pretty kind of footballer. But, I mean, ultimately, you know, until footballer, is, you know, you're kind of getting awarded style points or, you know, aesthetic points, whatever. The main the main thing about being a striker is is, is scoring goals. Uh, and I think this season costs a scoring contribution. So, again, assists and goals per 90 minutes is, it's, it's one of the best in Europe and it has been since he's been at the club. And yet, I think people would seemingly prefer a player, someone like Aguero, who if you take out his penalties and his stuff like that, I mean, his rate's almost half of Costa's. You know, we're talking about someone who is who is half as good at doing things that you buy strikers for. And then when you factor in the fact that we paid £32 million for Costa, you know, you find me a striker in Europe who, even at £40 million, who can give you kind of a, you know, a 0.8.9 goals and assists per game like Costa does. You know, I mean, it's it's not... That that easier a thing to do, and you know people go well, you know Lukaku and this that the other. Costa scores against Man City, Costa Costa scores against Arsenal, against Manchester United. Yes, okay, you know his his record in the Champions League hasn't been fantastic, but you know if you look at when he was at Atletico Madrid, probably the reason they lost the European Cup final was because Costa went off injured. You know his game is a bit like Jobber, and it's not always just about goals and assists and. And, and the, all these kind of buzzwords that people who probably don't necessarily understand forward play come up with to justify their opinion. And it does annoy me in some cases that, you know, you have all these people who think they're intellectual about football, but not a single one of them talks about manipulating space, which is something that Didier Drogba was probably the best forward in the world or one of the best people I've ever seen do it. And yet when people talk about him, all they talk about is our Didier Drogba was a big game player. So Didier Drogba could occupy an entire defence by himself and let everyone else around him play better. And that's something that Diego Costa does every single week. 
Now, he might not always have the best touch. He might not be the most graceful footballer that we've ever seen play at front for us. But if you take him up the team and put Batshuayi in, and that's, this isn't a slight on Batshuayi, the team doesn't play anywhere near as good. And we've seen that this season. And Costa's probably one of the best forwards that we've had at the club in the past 15 years. And people seem to be wishing him, you know, wishing him sort of away to China without really giving a alternative, you know. Aubameyang plays in a team that loves space. Lacazette at Lyon's half of his goals are penalties. The only person who possibly that we could buy is someone like Mauro Riccardi. I really, really like him. But again, it's another gamble. You're, paying, you're going to be paying £60, £70 million pounds for a player who hopefully you know, performs at a similar level. But there aren't that many strikers in Europe who can, who does, you know, who can do what Costa can do, particularly in this, in this formation, particularly in the Premier League. So people wishing him away, they maybe want to consider their opinion a bit more because... It's all right recommending all this sort of fancy, tricky sort of young, you know, starlet forwards. You put them in the Premier League, it, it is a different equation. And, you know, it's not necessarily an indictment that the Premier League isn't technical. But if you can't cope for the physical side of the game, then, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter how skillful or, or how fantastic your, your link-up or dribbling is because you're not going to score goals. So, yeah, that's my, my, my defensive cluster. <laughs> I really think we should uh, print that and we should frame it somewhere and get some cosigns going for that because uh, <laughs> 100% agree, especially at the point of adjusting out the penalties for Aguero because I am not a big penalty fan. Wait, what, Dan? What? You're not First a big fan? Wow. No, yeah, I know. I'm <laughs> going to go back to the well for that one. <laughs> well, you know, and, and like he points out, I think that uh, the biggest thing is uh, we have a proven system, uh, you know, and it is clicking. So it is just fantastic. And this is just another reminder how well Diego Costa is playing. Again, he has scored, not been a part of a goal. He has directly scored in 54% of his Premier League appearances. So a fantastic job to him. I would go ahead and jump on Instagram and uh, shoot him a message since that seems to be his favorite platform right now. Mainly him just flicking and slapping his friends. <laughs> but... Uh, you know, whatever works for the guy. We're just having do we, fun. Do we really want? Do we really want to send that to China? I mean, he is pure comedy on his. Do not uh, want to send him away. Absolutely not. All right. Question one. Let's just get this out of the way, Dan. How did Chelsea look with Fabregas playing the full ninety minutes in a real Premier League match? Uh, I thought they looked really good. I thought they looked really good. I actually, you know, I think credit to to Sesk. I, I think defensively he added a little bit more. Uh, you know, I think he he's taken those two second tackles uh, down a little bit in time. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the, his first goal, even you know, he worked back to you know get the ball back from the defender, uh, freed it up to play it forward, and then appeared on the edge of the box to run in and score. So, you know, you know there was probably a, about two other opportunities for him individually to score a goal. Uh, he was distributing it well forward. Uh, there were definitely a couple opportunities where he could have connected, and, and if we had been better at our conversion rate yesterday, uh, th- this could have been uh, a thrashing. Uh, you know, not not maybe as big as Jody Morris in the the under 18s, but uh, pretty large in regard. You know, just to put in perspective, uh, Fabregas specifically created 14 chances, whether they were key passes or assists, and that is a ton. Uh, if you compare that to how Chelsea played against Arsenal and Hull, those entire matches, we only created 15 chances across two games. You know, Nick, do you think Fabregas offered more than what we've gotten from Matic so far this season? Is he is Fabregas just more fresh maybe because he hasn't played as much? Or is it even down to Conte making Sesk so desperate to play that he's pushed himself 
to a level that pretty much Fabregas didn't even really think was in his game. Um, uh, so there are a couple of things at play here. I think just overall for the match, this was the most cohesive attacking performance that we've had in quite a while. So I would say over the last couple of months, this was the best I think we've looked from an attacking standpoint. Uh, I thought that you know Chelsea were completely dominant in the game, deserved to score four or five, six goals. Um, and I think that Sask had a big part to play in that. You know, I think that his his makeup against certain types of teams makes him lethal. I mean, just completely lethal. And credit to Swansea. Um, I, I think Swansea came out and played about as well as they could have played against us. So I think that is, you know, kind of all encompassing in this argument. I don't, I don't think you can just make the straight Fabregas and Matic comparison. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, I think yesterday was the right time to play him. I said that two weeks ago. Uh, but you know, when we get into some of these more difficult games where, uh, opposition will try and flood the midfield. Nemanja Matic is almost invaluable in that regard. So, you know, I think it's it's part, you know, Conte making Sesk desperate to play, and and it's funny what people will do when they're desperate. Uh, and then I think part of it's just it was the right opportunity at home, 300th appearance, a lot of energy going into this, and he played as well as I think we've seen him play this year. Uh, you know, I think a stat that we've seen – thus far for our, our Arsenal uh, friends, quote-unquote, would be uh, that he's contributed more in matches than Mesut Ozil this season in the Premier League, and he's played 1,227 less minutes, which is insanity. So, uh, you know, I think given the opportunity, he's incredible. Uh, you know, I think now it's just going to be Antonio Conte finding that spark and picking his spot the rest of the year. <laughs> Joe, we were actually tweeted at uh, Aniket Jane 18, you know, asking us, why is Conte preferred Matic over Fabregas during the season? I mean, what do you think? Obviously, you know, I've got the Optus stat or the Squawka stats pulled up. It is no debate that Fabregas is much more offensive than Matic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matic is a defensive player. And um, I don't know, I guess – what is it to you that you feel like that uh, Fabregas has just, you know, kind of been the, the one frozen out, surprisingly? God, it's a, it's a tough question. Um, I mean, I, I genuinely think that the system that we play at the moment, I think Conte potentially would like to change the profile of his midfield. And I think it's probably no surprise that when a lot of these rumours surface, we are linked to a lot of midfield players. Um but in terms of the structure of the team, I mean, we, we do kind of play with two number sixes. So we do play with two definitive holding players. And their job is, realistically, if you look at the actual shape of the team, it's not to get forward in this structure. Um, it, it's more to kind of cover the back three, to cover the spaces that the wing-backs leave, to, to let Eden Hazard not have to track back, to, you know, to, to let Pedro get on with his kind of stuff. And I think potentially it's more to do with kind of the mentality and uh, the instructions that, that Conte wants to give those players and the rest of the team, that Matic is Matic is, is a lot better than Fabregas off the ball. Um, you know his his physicality, his size, his his general defensive state. I, I don't think anyone's really going to contest that he's better defensively than than Fabregas. But I think from from what I've seen for a lot of this season, you know, is that Conte is is trying to really sort of make the the best of, of what he has, and and if that is to to lean on Eden Hazard and, and Costa and Pedro and and really sort of try and get the, the wing backs to far more and get forward. Um, I think what we're seeing is is really him 
seeing that that's possibly our best route to go and then using two midfielders to try and counteract some of the, the, the negatives that that leaves. So obviously the, the space out wide on the left, the you know, space out wide on the right, you would much prefer to have a, a more mobile and more lateral player in there um, than Fabregas. Uh, I think going forward, uh, you know, I think what again what we've seen is that Conte isn't really someone who's just going to completely stick by something and keep playing it until it doesn't work. I think he probably realises now, particularly with Fabregas starting against Swansea, that there are going to be games where if he plays Fabregas on the off and we get you know 60 minutes out of him of, of, of really top quality football, that we can, we can kill off a lot of teams that were playing early and then potentially look to conserve some energy towards the end of the game. So. You know, we might see Fabregas playing a bit more against some of these sort of more um, sort of lower ranked teams where I think Fabregas really does come into his own. But I can't see at the moment that there being a situation where if we were to play PSG tomorrow, for example, that, that Fabregas would, would get in ahead of Matic with the current squad and the current setup. I just think that Conte, from a tactical point of view, is, is using these two guys really as, as shields rather than as kind of attacking Falcons. Whether that will be the case next season, I mean, we kind of we've kind of seen him tinker with the three-five-two a little bit in this game and and previously in the past, where he had two more kind of box-to-box players who popped up with goals, you know, Vidal and Marquisio and and others that have played in that sort of position. We might see a bit more of an attacking impetus from the kind of eight, the two number eights in in, in that system. But I think in this system, given the players that we have, given that the, the kind of main threat seems to be from. Eden Hazard, Costa and, and maybe Marcos Onzo, that left-hand side um, seems to be kind of where we would focus most of our attacks. I think obviously Pedro's been brilliant this season as well, but from a sort of stand, from a uh, you know from an opposition standpoint, you're more likely to target Eden Hazard and, and Costa who likes to pull out to the left maybe than Pedro. Um, I think with that being in mind that Nemanja Matic is seen as obviously being a left-footer who can cover that space better and that's probably why he's being played ahead of Fabregas at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You know, for what it's worth, Nisar wrote a piece on Goal.com arguing that Matic should play over Sesk. And I agreed with a lot of what Nisar had to say, specifically because, Joe, you alluded a lot to this, Matic provides more balance, uh, you know, obviously playing on the left side. And he actually plays deeper than Kante. Uh, so obviously this allows Angolo to be a more free-flowing midfielder, read the game as he needs to, and pounce rather than kind of being reactionary to wherever Fabregas is and then playing off that. Uh, Nisar did credit Sus for being an offensive powerhouse. I mean, he's contributed 41 goals since August 2016 compared to Monich's 14 that he's contributed (laughs) to. Again, the great news is as long as Chelsea's front three attackers continue to score – and even being helped out periodically by the wingbacks, Sesk's role is going to be diminished, unfortunately. But that's just because PhD up top are doing a fantastic job. And I think that that's why when it's not working to plan, we see him later in the second half come on to kind of open up and, and give it a different look. But I think overall today, Nick, going back to what you said, it was the perfect moment for Fabregas to get in, and he had a very positive impact in this game. He didn't hurt us at all. I mean, so overall, I thought he did a really good job, Nick, jumping into it, and uh, we can be happy that we have that caliber of a player in the squad, and he seems to be happy. Yeah, I mean, again, I think that there there will come a time. We, we talked about the 14-15 end-of-the-season run where it was basically just score a goal, lock it down, uh, you know, kind of edgy, nervous moments. Uh, I think Antonio Conte is probably going to look at that. He'll look at his experience at Juventus and figure out the best way to close this thing out in the most efficient way possible. 
Sometimes that will be Sesk. Sometimes that will be Nemanja Matic. And we're just going to have to be okay with that. You know, I, I trust Conte, you know, with, with everything. So, you know, again, I, I think today was the best attacking game we played in a really long time. And, you know, we'll see if that continues. Actually, it's kind of weird how much Nick trusts Conte. He made gave him power of attorney, and right, I, I don't know, uh, Dan. He's really writing my will. Actually, he's writing my will. <laughs> uh, Dan, I mean, how? What do you think? Is this just a fortunate situation for Chelsea to have the ability to give teams completely different looks depending on Modric and Fabregas being in there? Well, before I say that, I think uh, Nick has it wrong. I think with the way that Conte likes to work, he'd probably be like a, a labor uh, attorney, like developing uh, you know, labor contracts. So he's probably just writing up a new uh, employment contract for you. The fun fact, he also guest starred on Rihanna's work, 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 work. So. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Never sing again. Never sing Never. again. No, he, he can't ever sign for an official club because his induction song would just, you know, kill half of them. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back, Dan. Are you happy with Chelsea's ability to have two very different looks with Fabregas? And I guess my thing is, as fans, should we be happy, essentially, that we have these options? Yeah, I, I think the the point that you know Joe alluded to earlier about uh, you know hashtag Chelsea Twitter and you know the the frustration when they don't see a favorite player potentially start or potentially get the opportunity to be in a side. Uh, you know whether that's you know, seeing Sesk, whether that's seeing Manage, whether it's seeing a three-five-two or a three-four-three, or you know getting a chance to see you know uh, Michi, whatever it is. Like the the fact that we have some versatility within the midfield and the ability to also tinker with some fluidity around the the formation, I think is very exciting considering, you know, I think the, the flashbacks to like the 14, 15 second half of the season where, you know, the, the writing was on the wall that we were going to get to the, the end of the season as, as champions, but you know, where you had these one nil games where you were essentially sweating it out and wondering why we were making life so difficult on ourselves. And I think you saw after the second goal today that, that was the pivotal kind of change where you're like, okay, this is not going to be like 14, 15 again. Uh, we're going to continue to push to the end of the game and actually try to score more goals and continue to put it away. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and that makes sense. Um, all right. Well, hey, guys, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Let us know what you think. Obviously, the modish Fabregas debate is hot and alive, um, but, you know, he had a pretty good match yesterday. I don't think too many people can have complaints. The biggest question will be, as we get back to some tougher games, is he still going to be the one in there? Uh, next question, Nick, coming your way. Why are so many people dissatisfied with Chelsea's performance yesterday? Between Twitter, obviously, not to pick on them, but again, it's the platform we're most active on, so we see it. Uh, the 100% Chelsea YouTube channel was also unhappy, and even some of the fans, not necessarily the host, but some fans on CFC Fan TV, they were just not convinced that this was a hard-fought, well-earned result. Uh, Nick, apparently people have forgotten that the Swans have beaten Liverpool, Southampton, Leicester, no offense, who hasn't recently, uh, and barely lost to Man City thanks to heroics from Gabriel Jesus in stoppage time. It's to the point where Swansea have actually taken 12 points from a possible 18 in 2017. That's one more point than even Chelsea have earned in that same time. 
I don't know. Like the answer is I don't know. I think that if you are a person who gets really upset after a three one victory, uh, a three one victory that you know if you're using your eyeballs was incredibly tough, um, and that where Chelsea played some of their best attacking football of the year. I got nothing for you. And in fact, I would say that life's probably going to be pretty hard for you um, going on after this because uh, I looked at this match as an incredibly crucial one. I thought that there was a lot of possibility for Chelsea to drop points. And I was incredibly enthusiastic that they came out and played uh, as uh, commanding as they did because, uh, I, you know, I, I don't understand, uh, Dan, what the what the point of, of bitching and moaning is after a 3-1 win. Oh, I, you know, I think there's an assumption from some fans that if you're a team that is engaged in a relegation battle, that you should be a, a piece of cake for a team that, you know, is a double digit lead ahead at the top of the table for in first place. And I, I don't know, I always feel like the team that has their back against the wall, uh, especially in the sight of, you know, the the money that a club has when they get to play in the Premier League versus a money, you know, in the situation, look what you know, happened to Aston Villa after they, after they left last season and the amount of redundancies and, and you know, vacancies that they had to create um, to kind of come into terms with life without Premier League money. That's a huge kind of swift uh, switch and swing uh, to go through. And, you know, this is a team that wants to stay in the Premier League. They, they want to combat for it. Uh, and they also... You know, really after probably the, the the really at the end of the first half when they scored the goal, uh, it changed their mentality for a, a good twenty minute stretch until we were able to kind of slot in the second where they were contesting for the ball and made it extremely difficult for Chelsea. So I I, I don't I don't understand you know the the desire to have to have played the best game. I think it, you have to appreciate the competition and the game that they had and also be thankful that, you know, there was a resolve and a resiliency within the side to work through uh, going level after having a, a brain fart defensive moment and allowing Victor Moses to, you know, um, you know, Mark Lorente, which was not, not a good decision. Um, and then get to the point where, you know, Pedro scores a goal and that, and that stretch was tough. And I, I think the fact that we came out of it and got three points was, you know, a testament to what we've done as a team this season. Joe, are we just totally off base here living in a bubble <laughs> over in the U.S.? I mean, what was your take? And obviously we want you to be honest and, and kind of let us know what you thought. I mean, I think there's there's a real difference between having a discussion about players and, and potentially sort of improving the team for next season and this sort of perpetual moaning after every single game about a kind of select group of players uh, it's it's really sort of debilitating and it's quite boring actually sort of every single game. I mean, you kind of think, that do these people watch other teams play? Because you hear them talk about other footballers and you think, well, you know, I, I watch a lot of Borussia Dortmund and I really like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but you know, he, he still takes eight chances to score a goal. I mean, you know, it's almost as if every time that Chelsea play, every time we count, every time we pass the ball, People expect us to score. It's got to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then it's this sort of big hoo-ha about, you know, Diego Costa is rubbish. He doesn't link play up or Eden Hazard's having a rubbish game or, you know, player X, player Y, player Z are terrible because they've done this, that, the other. You know, it's, it doesn't work in football that, that you are 100% all the time. And 
you know, very rarely do you get a game where every single one of your players is is an eight or nine out of ten and above. And you know, looking at Swansea again, you know, the, the context has to be there. Exactly what you're saying. This, you know, this this year they've massively turned the corner in terms of how they're playing, performance levels, points. They would have had some belief, particularly pulling back, you know, one all at half time, regardless of what you think of the goal, that they could have come out and, and held on in the second half. And you know, they were very unlucky to to concede against Man City. You know, that would have been a, a very good. You know, a, a, a good sort of a, a performance from them. You know, but it's it's this kind of perpetual moaning after every game. It doesn't matter if we win or lose. It just seems to seems to be quite exhausting. I don't really understand how these people function on a day to day basis because, you know, I'm kind of the opinion that yes, you know, I'd like to I'd like to see some better footballers coming in the summer. But after last season, you know, I'm 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 absolutely loving it. You know, I like the fact we're winning games. I like the fact we're eight points clear. I mean. I can't remember what the the game we we drew when we could have gone eleven points clear and we only went ten points clear or eight points clear. I can't I can't remember what, what the uh, Burnley what the numbers were. Yeah, it might have been the Burnley game. Yeah, it, it was like it was like we'd been beaten sixteen near when we were like twenty. You know, we were twentieth in the table. It's you know, it's the Premier League is one of the most difficult leagues to to win every week because every team gives everything in every match. Very very rarely do you turn up to a game and it's it's a guaranteed win. But we, I don't know, there just seems to be this mentality that, that you know, we have a God-given right to win matches and that in, during these matches we should be playing like a sort of peak 1970s Brazil and every time we touch the ball we should score and, you know, we should score every opportunity that we have. And I just I just don't understand it, to be honest. You know, there's, like I said, there's, there's a huge difference between debating players and this sort of hammering and overly sort of negative opinion after every single time we play a football match, you know, where... We're eight points clear. If City win whatever game in hand they've got again, um, you know it's it's a it's a good lead. You know it's not like you know it's not one point. It's not two points. You know we have to lose, you know two three games for for teams to catch up with us. So I don't quite understand where people are coming from. Um, you know I can understand people that are looking ahead to next season and want to see improvement. But after sure. every game, you know every game, do we have to have the same conversations about the same mm-hmm. players? I mean it's just it's just frustrating. No, I'm I, you know I'm right there with you, and I, and I think you know I don't know if it's the video game world, you know, where you can go out and crush people consistently, but <laughs> I don't think anyone will argue that the goal we gave up yesterday was sloppy. But is yeah, it huge. is it is it wrong to give Swansea credit for making life difficult for Chelsea? You know, I I think that we should give credit to Conte's squad for persevering the full ninety minutes to get. In the end, a comfortable 3-1 result. I just think some fans are living in the dreamland thinking, you know, as Joe, you mentioned, Nick and Dan, you all have said this. Chelsea should beat every team outside of the top five, you know, or maybe top five or six teams. We'll we'll include both Manchester clubs. Um, You know, essentially by three goals to zero every single match, you know, and that's so hard to do. You know, we all talk about how the Premier League is the most competitive league in the world, but then we say Chelsea aren't good enough week in, week out because after a performance like today, I just think that there's a little bit of inconsistencies there and that, you know, we should be able to celebrate uh, the team being able to, uh, you know, push through and, you know, maybe not the perfect win, but, you know, getting a really, really good win. And I can't, you know, stress enough people, 10 points clear at the top of the table, I mean, come on. There, there can be no complaints and no arguments. But if you think we're wrong, please, we would love to hear. If we're missing something, again, get in contact with us. We would love to have this discussion, uh, and we do all the time. But, you know, as it stands, guys, 
Uh, Chelsea are in a fantastic position. And even though we didn't uh, convert 80% of our chances like we have done it earlier in the season, I mean, the opportunities are there. So with that kind of being said, let's just go ahead and start to wrap this one up with the true false question. Uh, I think this is a pretty obvious one that's coming, but uh, true or false, Fabregas earned a starting spot in Chelsea's lineup. Nick, where do you stand on this? False, situationally dependent. <laughs> so pretty much you're just going to stick to what you said earlier. Yep. Makes sense. I've been, I've been right to this point, so I like being right. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, Dan, what about you, man? Uh, I, I, I don't like to copy Nick often, but I feel like he has a really smart-looking opinion today, and uh, I also would like to have a smart-looking opinion. Okay, uh, we're just going to stick to the squad mentality. Joe, what about you? I agree, but I, I want to be contrarian because, you know, what's the point of everyone agreeing on, on the same thing? Um, I think he has earned the ability to start more games. Whether he will, I don't know. I think, but he has definitely shown that, In the, I think in the running, and, you know, he's quite fresh now, isn't he? We, we, we always kind of make this joke that he sort of fades in the second half of the season, but maybe Conte's been quite smart and not played him, and now he's going to get that sort of, that Sesk kick. At the uh, you know in, in the title one in second nights, but yeah, I'm going to be contrarian and say yes, he's earned he's earned the starting spot. Yeah, I'm actually going to mirror Joe and say he's earned it. Again, whether or not he gets it will be a completely different statement. But I can't say that Fabregas has really done anything wrong to hurt his chances of you know earning the time. So we'll just have to kind of see how it goes. But uh, any other thoughts or anything that we've missed with this episode uh, covering the Swans match, Dan? Uh, you know, other than uh, I think uh, Nick getting it spot on this week for the man in the match poll, I, I think uh, that was the only thing that we, we really left to discuss. He's slowly removing options so he can't be wrong. I think. <laughs> right. So we went. <laughs> We went from four to three this week. Next week will be two, and then I'm just going to leave you one. Um, Therefore, no, it's no longer a poll. <laughs> right. No, it's it's more of a dictatorship at this point, which is <laughs> just kind of where we're going. So, um, yeah, so I, I left three because I didn't really think that anyone else kind of fit this uh, mold for, for the match. But Sesc, Conte, and Pedro. Uh, Sesc, obviously, winning, going away, 67% of the vote. Uh I, can I can I make a special note though for Ngolo Conte? Uh, there's a we retweeted this from our Twitter account, but there was a 24 second stretch in which Ngolo Conte made four different tackles against Swansea, and I will tell you with Claude Makélélé looking on that he is the best at his position in the world by far, and that he should win Player of the Year in the Premier League. He is absolutely ridiculous, and uh, I think central to everything that we do. Uh, could be my man of the match every match because he just allows for every other person uh, to to make uh, to make their move. And I think similar similar to what Joe was talking about with Drogba earlier in the in the analysis uh, with Drogba Costa. I think that there is uh, just a an incredible incredible talent within Golo Conte. Well, he sabotages himself for winning man end of the match because that's just the standard and the expectation so it's like if he doesn't do that you're like oh what a crap match he had and in reality he's performing well above uh what normal people can perform at just just ask uh leicester city right now four, how much they four, miss him four tackles in 24 seconds guys like that has to be a record or something it's absurd it, may, it uh, makes no sense 
Yeah, he's a machine. Uh, Joe, anything else that uh, kind of stood out to you this match that you wanted to, to throw out there before we continued on? Just really to, to add on that, I mean, I think I think Kante's been fantastic this season, but I think next season, particularly when we're in European football, I think that's when you're going to really start to see his value in some of these matches because I don't think at the moment there's anyone in world football who is as good at getting the ball back as he is, whether that's intercepting, whether that's tackling, whether that is you know, reading passes or, or cutting, just cutting the ball out. But I think next season, I think you know we've, we've started to see a, a real kind of player emerging here. Conte is obviously working on him in terms of his, his kind of poor passing and being more of an attacking threat. But I can't wait to see what he's going to do in Europe when we play some of these teams because you know if you put in uh, if we if we do go big in, on a midfield in the summer, I think yeah, that partnership with Kante um, is going to be pretty interesting to see because you know if we're playing teams who are evenly matched for us and you see Kante start smashing people about and winning the ball back, then his value just just massively increases. So yeah, I mean, that's what I'm really really looking forward to seeing him in Europe. Especially when you can count on one hand how many slide tackles he's made this season. As it stands, yeah, <laughs> as it stands in the Premier League table, Chelsea on top at sixty-three points, uh, up above Hotspur in second on fifty-three. Both teams have played twenty-six matches. Uh, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and United have only played twenty-five matches as it stands, and those are the order they are in. Uh, Joe, you had asked about that match Man City has in hand. It is the Manchester Derby that they will have to draw. make up. Draw, draw, draw. You draw. know, <laughs> not a friendly fixture. That All would right, be a good result, Joe. <laughs> the best yeah, result. I'm, 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 I'm putting it out early that I, I would like to draw in at least 25 sendings off. So, yeah. That's a lot <laughs> of sending offs. I want everyone sent off, even the fans. Yeah. And the referees too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is a wrap for the Swansea match uh, review. We are going to go ahead and uh, do a quick plug for Instagram. And then when we're back, it will be your social media questions. Here we go. Hey, hey Dan. Uh, you know, I think that, that our friend Brandon over there had a pretty good uh, weekend at Brit's Pub. Um, do you know if there was a place where we could have maybe viewed his experience? Well, I, I know I viewed it personally from uh, the at London Blue Pod Instagram account through the uh, the Instagram story that he put together. So I got to see the the live reaction of the goals. I I basically felt like I was drinking a a, a wonderful beer uh, alongside them uh, without actually having it in my hand, which was great because I was actually in a car uh, and that would have been illegal. That's very true. Uh, I think the the thing I enjoyed was Brandon's use of both emojis and uh, and featuring. Uh, our boy TJ from the from the summer tour, uh, just leading a whole bunch of chants and stuff. They obviously had a great crowd. You should follow us on Instagram. I think we're all planning to go to our local pubs in the very near future, and we will display our visits and, and our uh, experiences there just to, to give you a taste of what we do on the weekends. So at London Blue Pod on Instagram, give us a follow. Help us grow that, uh, that little community, and uh, we'll be on. It's true. Again, shout out to TJ. That guy is an absolute party starter. (laughs) All right. Social media questions. This will be fun with Joe, I think. So, at Just Badua asks, has Pedro cemented his spot in the starting 11 over William? Um, You know, Nick, you've gone back and forth over these two quite a bit. So, I think I'm going to throw it your way to start. 
Uh, I think so. I think he's he's just been more consistent um, in front of goal. You know, I think we we've said it, and multiple guests have said it over time that he's just the the finishing is just incredible with him. You know, even even his goal yesterday was kind of crap for his standards. So uh, <laughs> I think I think he's he's cemented it. Although one would really really hope that William would try and and fight as hard as he could for that spot you know, because you can't you know assuming there's an injury or. You know, if someone loses their form, you can never have enough players who are that quick on the counter. But I equate him to the uh, the roadrunner sometimes, where his his legs move a little too fast for his brain. Pedro, right? Pedro, yep. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, at I underscore bout underscore well asks, Sesk is looking like Super Sesk Lampard. Is this the midfield pair that will get us through the final stretch of the title? Uh, I mean, Joe, what do you think about this? Obviously, he was making those late runs into the box that we had seen. Pretty much as Lampard made a late run onto the field at halftime, he just can't kick it. Oh, I'm I'm not having the Frank Lampard comparison. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> there is there, there are things that I'm happy with, and there's some things that are sort of sacrilege. And uh, probably Lampard might have scored another two, maybe three goals yesterday. Some of the positions Fabregas was in, possibly. But no, I mean, I think it was. Uh, it's nice to see one of the midfielders actually get into the area. I think we touched upon it earlier that you know Fabregas, sorry, Matic and uh, Kante are kind of they're sort of there to screen, and they're not really there as sort of final third players, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a really good option going forward, whether it's from the bench or whether it's starting. But, you know, I think he, he has the ability to chip in with goals. And you know, that was a point I made a few weeks ago on on, uh, on Twitter that you know, if Chelsea had a midfielder who could get maybe 10, 15 goals a season from central midfield, that we'd be in a, you know, some of these sort of t- tough games where we kind of, you know, the team pulls a goal back or, you know, we're looking for a goal. We, we don't really have that person in midfield at the moment who can seem to pop up with, with a goal, whether that's from distance or sort of doing a Lampardy type running through the area. So, yeah, if, if Cesc can maybe pull out another three, four goals towards the end of the season, I think, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's definitely going to have played his part this season. Very unlucky not to have a brace yesterday, that pesky yeah. crossbar. Yeah. Uh, Dan, SP Beal, hitting us up, says, why is JT learning Portuguese? If you guys haven't seen this, he is uh, using Duolingo to learn Portuguese in his spare time. Uh, it's on his Instagram story, so make sure to give him a follow. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting one. Maybe he's trying to uh, communicate a little bit more well with uh, with Costa. Yeah, maybe it's been a, a part of a, a cultural exchange. Um you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories we could cook up here in uh, the Atlanta Blue Pod Studios. God, um, <laughs> God, oh God, really, really? That's that's the one you want to go with? I mean, that's the juiciest uh, one. It's what's gonna you know sell books for us that we don't have. Yeah, uh, that's uh, you know, I, I it's uh, it's wonderful to see that in addition to pursuing his coaching badges, he is also uh, expanding his uh, language horizons. Um, if that maybe sends, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know, but uh, that's an interesting question. We'll have, to, we'll have to keep an eye on it to see where he takes his vacations and uh, piece together the puzzle like a true detective. My guess is that he's probably, this is just the one that he's shown us. He's probably already been taking Spanish lessons or or Italian, something like that, Joe. I mean, wouldn't it just kind of make sense? We know how dedicated he's been throughout his career to getting his coaching badges. I'm sure this is just kind of an extension. And as he's become more social of a player, uh, we're just getting an insight to it for the first time. So my sneaky hot take would be that uh, John Terry loves golf. 
And uh, in Portugal, you've got some of the best, and I mean the best golf courses in Europe. So uh, it might be so that he can communicate better with the golfing uh, patriots over on the, uh, on, in the Portuguese and the Algarve and places like that. Probably on, on a slightly more serious note, um, I would imagine that he's probably taking quite a few Latin languages. Um, you know, he, he is a very solid reputation within Europe in terms of, you know, network and stuff like that. And it wouldn't surprise me to see if he went to Portugal to maybe do some coaching or Italy or Spain and, you know, clubs are quite happy to have him there. So maybe he at the moment just putting that sort of foundation in to, to go elsewhere and learn about football because I always felt with Terry that, you know, he, for all the kind of the stick that he got, he, he's quite a forward-thinking person and I don't think he would necessarily limit himself to to just coaching in the UK. So potentially he might be looking, as I said, a bit further afield in terms of his coaching. Um, you know, if he can pick up some Portuguese or Spanish or, or French or whatever it is that he's looking at, you know, I think that that's something that he probably would do. Um, he's got the time to do it, so yeah, why not? All right. Well, next one up is from at Joey SYM 69, uh, throwing a bit of a challenge out to us all. He says, if we could put together a Chelsea team, mainly of Academy players with only three senior players, what would your starting 11 look like? So I know that we've had some fun with this. Um, Nick, go ahead. What would your kind of youth Academy lone army slash senior side player starting 11 look like? Yeah, I went a little different on this. So, I mean, if you can only have three senior players uh, who are not academy products um, in your starting 11, I think mine would be uh, Dave, Conte, and Costa. Um, so, you kind of see the spine of my team. I'm going Jamal Blackman as my goalkeeper. Um, Andreas Christensen coming back. Ake, who's been a part of the academy forever. Uh, so, I'm going a 3-4-3. Three five two actually um, with mine. So I have uh, Jade Silva as my left wing back, uh, Lewis Baker central midfield, and Golo Conte central midfield. Uh, Kane as my right wing back. I think there's something interesting there with him. Uh, Jeremy Boga as my central attacking midfielder. I'm, I'm still obsessed with him. I, I hope that he makes it someday. <laughs> and then uh, Tammy and Costa partnering up top. Uh, just being lethal. So I'm obviously a little bit weaker in the back with mine than, than maybe you guys are with yours, but I'm hoping that my team just scores nine or 10 goals a game and really helps our Twitter verse calm down. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think that's pretty interesting. You know, even, ch you know, change the formation, but that's all right. You had a lot of players to choose from Dan. What is your lineup? Yeah, so uh, I, I did not go for youth between the the sticks. I wanted uh, Courtois as a, as one of those senior players uh, in front of him, uh, Christensen, uh, Luis, and Ake. Uh, then you move forward and you have a, a midfield five of uh, De Silva, uh, Loftus Cheek, Baker, Chalaba, and Kane. And then you move forward and you have a little Traore Costa partnership up at the top for uh, some uh, some hashtag uh, free Bertrand moments. <laughs> um well, we'll see i considered Ake to be a senior team player because he's on the on the lineup well yeah then and then in that case so with shallowba and, and rlc too so i i, I was a little pick any of them i know guys. but I, I was a little confused by that because obviously shallowba would have been in my team fair enough but, yeah but i so i don't know i think the the uh, rules I, of this well, uh, we'll, we'll find the rules next re week, next time we do this. But uh, I really feel like you're. I'm, I'm questioning your love for uh, Chalobe now. That's that's all I'm wondering. 
not oh, no. at all. I was just trying to play by the rules, Dan. That's all I was trying to do. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm about to break pretty much every rule here. Uh, Courtois in goal. Christensen left center back. David Luiz center back. Tomore as the right center back. Uh, a healthy mm-hmm. one for that matter. Uh, obviously, I think we all agree with De Silva as left wing back. Uh, Casey Palmer and Marco Van Hinkle in the middle, actually. And Tidy Kane right wing back. I'd like to see that, you know, we all were in agreement on that. Um, and then, I, so I stuck to 3-4-3. Three, three. My forwards are Triore left forward, Costa center forward, and Quadrado right forward. Massively oh, cheating with that pick. Oh, I know. Oh. He is the least Chelsea player that is on the books in the club, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I put Izzy Brown if you don't like my Quadrado pick. <laughs> All right. Well, the main now that we've gotten all the the early fights out of the way, Joe. Everyone wants to hear what you have, being the youth connoisseur that you are. So, what does your lineup look like? So, I generally had about five permutations, and I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> um, it took me quite a while to nail down the team. So, I went with the three-five-two. Um, my three senior players are all in the back four. So I've got Courtois, I've got Aspi at right centre-back, David Luiz, the central back, and I've got Andreas Christensen as the left centre-back. My left wing-back is Nathan Ake. He's an academy player. He's come through the academy, so I've, I've had him as my left wing-back. My right wing-back is someone I mentioned a bit earlier, so a, a guy called Dujon Sterling. So he's about 16, 17. Um, for those of you who like watching your FA Youth Cup football and in general academy football, he's probably someone that you want to keep an eye on um, and exceptional. And I, I truly mean, you know, exceptional when I say that word, athlete, but someone who is uh, a very, very good footballer on top of that as well. And he, he seems almost as if Antonio Conte has, has sort of found the child and reared him to be a right wing back. And that would probably be what Dujon Serling is. He's, he's got the potential to be potentially a, a bit of a superstar in that position. So I've got him there. Um, I've gone for kind of the Juventus midfield shapes. I've got Chalaba doing his Andrea Perlo um, impression. I've got Loftus-Cheek doing his Pogba impression and, and Baker doing the Marquisio impression. So um kind of gone with the England under-21 midfield there. Um, I think they link pretty well when they play for the under-21s and they've obviously got a good understanding. And then up front, I've kind of got Bertrand Traore as sort of a support striker kind of doing what he wants. And then uh, Tommy Abraham leading the line. So, yeah, I think that potentially the, uh, the back four, so Cortar, P. Louise and Christensen. Now, if we don't sign anyone, that could be what we're seeing next season. So that might be quite interesting as well. So, yeah, but uh, a pretty strong team. And one well, I could probably see playing in, in the FA Cup early around and doing quite well. All right. Well, let us know what you guys think out there. Uh, you know, a lot of players to choose from. I think that was our hardest part was trying to quickly synthesize through the massive uh, pool of players that Chelsea has to choose from. Uh, but we would love to see your picks on Twitter, especially coming from you, Joey. You threw it at us. We want to see what your squad looks like as well. But that is all the time we have for for your social media questions. Let's take one last break before we get into the West Ham United preview. Here we go. So, hey, Dan, I, I, I'm really looking to get a, a update on my shipping from worldsoccershop.com. Uh, I, I don't know how to do that, though. Could you maybe give me a cue? Uh, almost as, as quickly as Angolo Conte tackles uh, not one, not two, but three, but four players, uh, you can create a profile on worldsoccershop.com right hand corner click the button 
and uh, set it up, email address, name, all the curtain, pertinent vital information, and uh, get yourself those shipping notifications, that easy sign-on, and also those you know, email blasts to get uh, the best deals on uh, Chelsea Gear Round. Super quick, super easy, Chelsea fans. Uh, let's go ahead and turn our attention to West Ham United. It will be another Premier League match heading to the London Stadium. I mean, is that what we're calling it these days, Joe? I, I can never remember. Uh, at this point, I've I've just given up with West Ham. So, <laughs> um, I think it's officially known as the London Stadium or the Olympic London Stadium. I don't really know. I, to be honest with you, well, I don't, don't even think their fans care, so I don't think it really matters anymore. I can tell you one person who definitely did give up, and that is Dimitri Payet. <laughs> too soon? Never. All right. Never, the match will be, it will be this coming Monday on in March. We're finally in March, guys. Can you believe it? Um, you know, the way the form guide goes, Chelsea have obviously being in this little pattern of win, draw, win, draw, win. Uh, West Ham, on the other hand, uh, drew Watford this weekend, drew West Brom last weekend, beat Saints surprisingly easy, uh, got crushed by City for nothing, and beat Middlesbrough. So, you know, as it stands, Nick, we're going into this one. We still have a lot of momentum riding. Uh, West Ham, you know, had to come back to Ty Watford, I believe. Just was not a great showing yet again. Billich hanging on to his job uh, by his fingertips. Yeah, I mean, I think this will be tough. Uh, they played us tough at the beginning of the season before we found out that they were crap. But I think they've kind of come back uh, a little bit and have found some players that may have been previously kind of exiled and, and made them fit again. So I certainly don't anticipate this to be an easy match, especially with kind of the, uh, the fan culture that exists between our, our two sets of fans. So uh, I, I look for maybe a, uh, a squeaky one nil win uh, perhaps as kind of the, the flow of the game goes. Some of the matchups I think that we can watch Dan would be, you know, Obviously, our wide players going at their outside backs. Maybe Louise versus Carroll, if Andy Carroll is back and fit. Um, what about like Lanzini versus Conte? You know, I think uh, one matchup I'm excited to not have to watch is, uh, you know, um, Mikel Antonio, who is uh, suspended yep. uh, due to uh, card accumulation. So that's a nice little uh, bonus for us because he's been uh, quite a little bit of thorn in the side for other teams, uh, whether he's assisting or, you know, scoring the goal. Um, so that kind of removes a little bit of that attacking threat. But, uh, you know, Andy, Andy Carroll has uh, been able to net a couple goals recently. So uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a fun uh, I think it'll be a fun affair. I, I think, uh, I think, uh, you know, two, one, three, one, actually, uh, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of back and forth. Come on. No clean sheet love for, for the back line guys, Joe, uh, what do you think, you know, as far as watching West Ham this season, you know, knowing Kelsey, Chelsea versus West Ham. I mean, where do you see kind of the, the match being won and lost here? Um, they've, they've been a bit of a funny team to watch this season, I think, West Ham. Um, I think where last season you might have said actually they were beginning to find something of an, a, a kind of an identity. Um, I, I do generally think that the move to the new stadium has kind of thrown them a little bit. Uh, I know that might be sort of slightly insane to say considering that they're professional athletes and, you know, it's just a different stadium, but it, it doesn't really feel like a home ground. And just sort of speaking to, to friends who are West Ham fans, you know, it's, it's not really for them a football ground it still feels a bit like an athletic stadium 
maybe the atmosphere within the stadium isn't necessarily helping. So I think that they do kind of maybe resemble that somewhat. They're quite nervous in possession. Um, I think if we if we play with um, with Kante and possibly possibly Fabregas in midfield, I, th- I think we'll do quite well. Um, they're quite disjointed. If, if they do try and press, it's normally quite disjointed. So we hope Fabregas can get sort of three, four seconds on the board to pick passes. But I think this this is really a game for for Costa and Hazard to to kind of step back up. You know, I think Costa's form really since the the whole China stuff, you know, I, I do think he's, he's not playing anywhere near as badly as, as what quite a few people are suggesting. But, you know, I think pre, pre the sort of China stuff, he was probably playing his best football for the club. So, no, we kind of need to get him up to that that sort of level again. And I think Hazard, you know, is, uh, is kind of dipping a little bit at the moment. So, again, I think him him and Costa, if, if they play well, I think we win the game quite comfortably. Um, I, I don't really see, I think, you know, Mikel Antonio is was, was one of these players who, just seem to do pretty well against us. You know, I think he's played fairly well this season, as does Andy Carroll. So, you know, if Luis can marshal Carroll, we don't have to worry about Antonio. Um, I'm quite hopeful actually that this should be a fairly not routine win, but you know, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with uh, with a two 0 victory there. I think that the one thing that is going better for Chelsea, uh, even with these guys dipping in form, is what we've seen from Chelsea's YouTube channel. Costa seems at least being good spirits. He's not pouty like we did see last season. And also Hazard yeah. is publicly making the right comments, at least, you know, making us as fans feel confident that he understands maybe he's not at his best, but he's in a good state of mind and he's willing to, you know, put in some work. We've seen him, you know, be a little bit more willing to track back a bit and he is still having those moments of brilliance. Obviously, uh, asked not about that from Swansea, but we yeah. we just want him to continue to build off it. So, you know, it's it is as of right now only February twenty sixth. There is there are a few months left of the season, and if these guys can you know kind of use this stretch of games to really build up into their top form as we bring it home, uh, that that'll be a good timing, but you know, it it is a long grinding season and uh, thankfully the guys are still getting the job done. So let us know what you think. Uh, As always, Jay Heal will do score predictions later in the week as we get close to the match. Uh, But that's going to be a wrap for this episode. A little bit long, but a lot a bit great. What are our final thoughts for this episode? Dan, the man, let's go ahead and start with you. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think if you haven't seen it yet, because if you're watching the match over video, um, you know, a stream or, a, you know, a legit uh, option, uh, there was a nice little tribute to Frank Lampard during halftime that was uh, really quite fantastic. And, uh, you know, I think a, a credit to uh, to the second uh, tied now for second uh, assist leader of all time in the Premier League at 102 with Cesc Fabregas. So uh, crazy on the day that we honor uh, Cesc, uh, honor Lampard that Cesc uh, ties that record. So pretty pretty cool events that uh, occurred yesterday. No, absolutely, it's fantastic. Uh, check out the the uh, the video. It, it actually get, will probably give you chills. Nick, what about you, man? Yeah, I definitely just wanted to. to... To sign off Frank Lampard, I think it was just a great opportunity for him to finally get to say goodbye in his own way. And I, you know, I think we all just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we all kind of paid tribute to him. But uh, great to see him at the at the club, and hopefully he uh, he sticks around a little bit more and uh, and earns his badges and can kind of be one of those youth mentors that I think uh, he he could be great at. It's actually pretty cool to hear in Conte's. Uh, post-match press conference he was asked about Lampard's role and the you know the communications director 
you know, blatantly said, it has always been noted that this generation of players, you know, essentially Chelsea's version version of golden players, uh, they want them back at the club in some capacity. And so that they said they are more than happy to help Lampard get those badges and any kind of experience he needs because they know just how valuable the experience uh, that they have from Chelsea's most winning era will be to the club moving forward. So very, very cool to hear. Uh, Joe, what about you? Anything that we should be on the look for coming out in the future or anything else you just want to uh, kind of wrap this up with? Yeah, I mean, just I was really just following up from, from what you guys have said there. I'm, you know, a lot of people have said for, for quite a long period of time now that we need to start getting some of these players back into the club in some capacity. So uh, Lampard, Cole, Michael Ballack, et cetera. And I, I think the club have looked at you know, for example, Patrick Vieira, who now is pretty much, I think he's still in New York City's manager, but you know, he's he's now associated with, with Manchester City. And you know, this is a guy who who really is an absolute out-and-out Arsenal legend um, now working for a, a rival club. And I think they've kind of looked at that situation, but you know what, we need to actually go a little bit above and beyond to bring players like Frank Lampard back, players like Ashley Cole back. Because I think Cole has actually said that he'd like to start doing some scouting. You know, I mean, if, if there's anyone who could potentially go and find us a proper left back I mean hopefully Ashley Cole is, is qualified enough to, to actually spot someone who can play the position but no I mean I, I'm really kind of enjoying this this ability to bring back players I, mean, I saw Michael Essien I've seen Andrei Shevchenko kind of up in up in Abramovich's boxes and there seems to be more of a commitment to sort of bringing back some of these players and, and involving them in the sort of day-to-day aspects of the club I think we'll see Drogba back soon in some capacity so no I mean I'm, I'm really enjoying it I think it's a very sensible move and and actually, you know, one of the things which I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable saying, you know, I had a conversation with someone from Chelsea when I was in Arnhem and, and he was quite happy that the club are now moving in that direction because, as he put it, you know, if you wanted to get a, a group of 14-year-old centre-backs and, and, you know, get someone to tell them about aspects of the game, uh, they, they are going to listen to a coach, but they're more than likely going to listen to John Terry, um, you know, sort of come over and, and give them the ins and outs. Same with midfielders, listen with Lampard, same as full-backs with Ashley Cole. I think that, that that definitely goes a long way. So, no, I mean, I'm really, really hopeful that that's the direction that the club are going in. And, and I hope that, uh, you know, after Frank completes his badges, um, that we can see him coaching and potentially manage the club one day because I think he's definitely got that about him. Wow, you heard it here first. Lamps for Chelsea manager. All right. Well, that'll go ahead and wrap us up for another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Thank you so much for listening, especially if you're still listening at this point. Uh, it, Make sure you tweet at us. Go ahead and follow Joe. What's your Twitter handle again? It's uh, at Joe Tweedy, T-W-E-E-D-I-E. There it goes. All right. And the last thing we have for you is there will be a midweek pod covering more in-depth Joe's trip to Arnhem over in, in the Netherlands. So be on the look for that. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. All right, Chelsea fans, that is a wrap for this week. Don't panic, though, as we'll be back after Chelsea's next match. So to be sure you don't miss it, subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at LondonBluePod. Until next time, Chelsea fans, keep the blue flag flying high.